Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Thank you again for tuning in and and listening wherever you may be listening from or wherever you may be watching from. Uh, We always enjoy having you uh, tune in here at the Vista. I hope you had a great Easter. Um, I know that Easter was not ideal, and we all would have loved to gather together and really celebrate uh, together. Uh, But there there were some things that um, we would not have been able to do had we not done it this way. Uh, We've mentioned one of those, and that is... um, we all were able to watch during that 10 o'clock hour. Uh, that is something that if we were all trying to meet in our building, we simply would not have been able to do. And so uh, that's one silver lining. Uh, the other silver lining, lining, I know for me personally, is this last Easter was the first uh, Easter that I can remember ever really spending with my family. Um, as you can imagine, as a pastor and church staff, Easter's really, really busy day for us. Uh, usually a, a lot of work, a lot of services, a lot of gearing up. And so it was kind of nice to be able just to enjoy Easter with my family. And so, again, there is some silver lining there. We had a great Easter in the Jeffrey's house. Um, I wanted to show you my favorite picture from Easter. Um, This is a picture of my youngest son, Pax. He is in full worship mode in the middle of our living room. Uh, Jordan and the band are there leading on the screen. And Pax is just getting after it in worship. Uh, I love that at five years old, hands are up, uh, shirtless worship for Pax. I think Pax would love to have shirtless worship every week, uh, but I've tried to tell him we're not going to start that here at the Vista when we can all gather together again. But we did have a great week, uh, and it was really nice to be together as a family, um, and I hope that you had a great Easter, Easter as well. This morning, uh, we are going to finish up our walk through Paul's letter to this church in Corinth. Uh, Austin and I, uh, for the last several months, we've been walking through Paul's letter uh, to the believers in, uh, in Corinth, uh, in this letter called 1 Corinthians. And so today I want to kind of put a bow on that uh, by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Chapter 13 is probably the most popular uh, chapter in all of Corinthians. And it's, of course, known as the love chapter. Paul's talking about the subject of love, uh, but to be honest with you, it's been sort of taken out of context uh, by a lot in even Christian circles. We've kind of used 1 Corinthians to talk mostly about a romantic kind of love, uh, about a, a marital kind of love. It's read at just about every wedding I've ever been a part of. Uh, but in context, Paul's not talking about romantic love or uh, a wedding verse. Uh, Paul's talking about brothers and sisters in the church learning to love one another. And so we're going to take a look at this chapter, but before we do, I wanted to just kind of, in the way of preface, give you some big sort of overarching truths about love from the New Testament, all right? They're just sort of foundational things that hopefully we all know, we all understand, but they're really great reminders for us, right? So before we get into 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to jump around to a lot of other text, and I want to just remind you of some things um, regarding love from the New Testament, okay? Uh, The first one of those things is this, that God is love, okay? God is love. That is who he is, okay? The Bible's really, really clear about that. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Here's what it says. <coughs> John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, 
Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay, so the the first point there is that God is love. That is who he is. Um, A.W. Tozer says it this way, that God's love conditions all of his other attributes, okay? So even those attributes of God that we don't really like to talk about a lot, like judgment, it's God's love that even conditions judgment, okay? So God's love conditions all that he is. And that's really a big overarching principle of the New Testament and the doctrine of God is that God is love, okay? That's point number one. Point number two, kind of overarching principle, is that God loves you. God loves you. The Bible's very, very clear about this. I can say this with confidence as your pastor. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done in your life, the Bible's really, really clear that God loves you, that God loves you. The most popular verse in all the Bible, John chapter three, verse 16, right? Everyone, most people kind of know it by heart. It starts with this big idea that God so loved the world, right? That world, that's, that's pretty all-encompassing. That includes you, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. God loves you. And that means a couple things, right? First of all, that means God has affection for you, okay? God has affection for you. God's heart is stirred towards you, um, the Bible talks about how we are God's children, right? So if you're a parent, you understand this. The same way you have affection for your child, the Bible's going to say God has affection for you. That's part of what love means, that God has affection for you. And because God has affection for you, God's affection for you motivates action on your behalf. God doesn't just say that he loves us, give us a few verses. No, no, God did something because he loved us. Is action on our behalf. Okay, uh, and that's what Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Back to John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? He gave, he did something. And so when we say God loves you, what that means is God has affection for you and that affection motivates God to action on your behalf. Henry Morehouse was a famous preacher in the 1800s. Um, and one uh, time he preached 15 nights in a row in D.L. Moody's church in Chicago. And every night he preached on the love of God. And every night his text was John chapter 3, verse 16. And upon his rather untimely death at the age of 40 in, uh, eight, in December of 1880, among his dying words, he said, if it were the Lord's will to raise me up again, um, I should like to preach more on the text for God so loved the world. It really is the gospel in a nutshell, that God is love and that God loves you. Those are two huge overarching principles in the New Testament. The third one, in light of those things, is that we should love others, right? That we should love others. It's all over the New Testament. I'll just give you uh, several references that sort of point to this, but really all through the Bible. Um, for example, in, in Matthew 22 and in Mark 12, um, we have what's called the greatest commandment. Um, someone had asked Jesus, of all the laws and all the rules, what is most important? 
And Jesus responded by saying, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he said, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So he said, that's, the, that's called the greatest commandment. And it's all about love. From the day one here at the Vista, this is something we've said we want to be about. Loving God and loving people, right? We look at a few others in John chapter 13. The Gospel of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is what John's going to say. That's how people will know that you belong to Jesus. That's how people will know that you belong to me is by the way you love one another. Over in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 12, and then uh, verse 17. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then down in verse 17, he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another, okay? Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, verse uh Verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's what he says. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Over in Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us what is called the fruit of the Spirit. And so what that is, is if we are filled with the Spirit of God, these are things that ought to flow out of our lives. And his listing there of the fruit of the Spirit, it starts with love. He's going to say love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But again, it all starts with love. One more in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses, uh, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. So those are the three uh, really big overarching sort of truths, if you will, from the New Testament about love, okay? Hopefully we can all agree on that. God is love. That, that, is, that is who he is, right? God loves you. No matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, God loves you. And that means affection for you and action on your behalf. And then number three, in light of that, since we are recipients of the love of God, we then should love others, okay? Big overarching principles about love. Now we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to remind you here of the context and what's going on here in Corinth, okay? So Paul plants this church he establishes the church, and then he moves on to plant other churches. After Paul leaves, there's a lot of fighting. The church infighting, bickering, complaining, and they're arguing about everything you can imagine, right? They're arguing about which pastor they like better. They're arguing about who the better preachers are. They're arguing about spiritual gifts. Uh, they're trying to one-up each other. Well I, well, I have this gift. Oh yeah, well, I have this gift. And they're kind of arguing about what gifts are better. They're arguing about how to, how to rightly do the Lord's Supper or communion. How do we practice that? Um, they're arguing about uh, marriage and who's better, married people or single people. Um, there, there's all kinds of stuff that they're just arguing about. They're fighting. It really is a dysfunctional family in Corinth. 
And so Paul writes this letter back to the believers in Corinth, and he's trying to sort of help them understand that they're, they're arguing about a lot of stuff they don't need to argue about. They're, they're really fighting, they're picking silly fights, and they don't need to pick silly fights. And so uh, when we get to 13, what Paul's trying to help them understand is that they best reflect the heart of God, not by uh, displaying some particular spiritual gifting, but by loving one another. And so this is the problem in Corinth. You know, their doctrine is, is okay, right? They got spiritual gifting, but they just don't love each other. That's really the core of their problem. They just don't love each other. And so I love the fact that right here in between chapter 12 and chapter 14, that's all about spiritual gifting, there's this chapter that Paul writes on love because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what spiritual gifting you have if you don't love your brothers and your sisters. That's, that's really what he's what he's trying to say. And so again, we in the Christian world, we've sort of hijacked this idea of love in the church and we've made it all about marriage or weddings or romantic kind of love. But in context, that's not what Paul's really addressing here, okay? That's not what he's addressing. So chapter 13, beautiful chapter. It's really broken down into three specific sections. And so I just wanna read through each section and then I've got a major kind of point to take away from each section. And hopefully you'll find this um, both encouraging and maybe a little bit challenging uh, for you, okay? So here we go. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And I don't know about you, but if you really let those verses sort of sink in, um, it really is kind of a terrifying few verses. Because here's what Paul just said. Paul just said that you can do a lot of religious stuff. You can do a lot of really good things, a lot of really right things. I mean, there's some stuff in here. If you have the faith to move a mountain, if you give yourself up, you sacrifice yourself up to be burned, if you take a bullet for somebody, I mean, there's some really amazing stuff in what Paul just said. But what he also said is you can do all of those things. And if you aren't motivated by love for others, he says, basically, it's, it's pointless, right? It's, it's pointless. So the big overarching point that Paul's trying to make here is this, that all religion and ministry, if it, it is empty without love. All religion and all ministry is empty without love. And so just think about that. When you, when you serve, when you give, when you do many of the things that we ask you to do as pastors and as a church, what we're, what we're saying there is there ought to be some sort of a heart check, right? That before we do these things, we need to kind of ask ourselves, wait a minute, what is my motivation for doing this, right? Is it just some sense of obligation? Is it so other people will recognize me and notice me? No, no. Our motivation behind what we do has to be a love for the church, a love for God's people, a love for those around us. And that's really what Paul's getting at there in the first three verses of chapter 13. This was the big problem in Corinth, right? The big problem in Corinth. They were doing a lot of stuff, a lot of religious activity, a lot of spiritual gifting going on. They just weren't very nice to each other. 
They didn't like each other. They, had, they, they, they saw everything as a reason to argue and fight and complain. And so Paul says, no, no, what you need to do is be motivated by love for one another. All right? Well, the next section then, Paul describes what love is and what love is not. Uh, by my count, there are 16 things in just these three verses that Paul's going to say, here's what love is, and then here's what love is not. Okay, so we'll, we'll walk through these really quick. He says in verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing or, or sin, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, in some ways, uh, the English language has not done us uh, any justice when it comes to this idea of love. Um, because essentially we have, we have one word for love, right? And so we apply that to everything, don't we? I mean, uh, I love my wife uh, and I love my kids, but I also love, you know, cheeseburgers, right? I love pizza. Like we, we talk about love and we sort of use that word to describe a lot of different things. Like I love my wife, but I also love my other, I love my brother, but I don't love them in the same way, right? Because that's weird and I'm not from Arkansas, but uh, we love, we use the language of love for everything, right? We use the language of love, we apply to everything. But in the biblical languages, in Greek and in Hebrew, um, there are a lot of different words for love. They break the words down and they mean some different things. And so the English language, um, it really sort of does us a disservice when we talk about this idea of what love really is. In addition, there are some analogies that are rather popular um, that also, I think, do us a disservice when it comes to the idea of, of God's love um, being, being through us. And so let me give you an example. So one of the more popular analogies, one that I've even used, um, is this idea that we or our lives are like a cup, right? And so the, the picture is that our lives are like this cup or they're like this vessel, and we need to be full of the love of God. Um, each and every day, we need to be filled to the max with God's love so that then we can spill over into other people's lives. Maybe you've heard an analogy similar to that, right? Our lives are this cup, this vessel. We need to be full. And only when we're full of God's love, then and only then can we sort of spill over the excess onto other people. And while I understand the analogy, like I understand what, they're, what we're trying to get at there, and that is that we obviously, um, we need to understand our identity in Christ and operate out of that identity. We certainly do need the love of God and to understand God's love for us. Um, the analogy really starts to fall apart, though, when you read it in light of what Paul says here. And here's why. You can't help but read those verses when Paul talks about love and what love is and what it's not. The big thing that jumps out to me is that love, first and foremost, is completely selfless, right? That it's not about me. It's not about how I feel. Uh, it, it, it's, it's completely other-focused, okay? And so if... As a believer in Jesus, if I sort of live with this idea that only when I feel fully loved to the max all the time, 100%, only then can I sort of spill out onto other people's lives, it still is a rather me-focused kind of thing, right? Only if I'm completely full of love can I give love to someone else, which is really not at all what Paul's saying here. 
Paul's talking about a kind of love that does not insist on its own way, that's patient and kind, that looks out for others, right? And so rather than maybe seeing our lives as cups that need to be completely full all the time before we can love anyone else, maybe a better analogy is that we are conduits of God's love, right? That's kind of a, a, the big point that I took away from this section, that we're not cups of God's love, but rather we're conduits of God's love, where God's love sort of flows through us. And what that means is whether I'm feeling fully loved by others or not, whether I'm feeling full in that moment or not, I can still love other people that God places around me. I can still be a conduit of God's love to other people, whether I'm feeling completely full in that moment or not. See, that's a selfless kind of love. And that can apply, again, in my marriage. That can apply as a parent, as a dad. That can apply to my friends. That can apply to extended family. That can apply to my brothers and sisters in the church. Whether I'm feeling fully loved in every moment, I can still choose to be a conduit of God's love to other people. I think that's kind of the bigger picture of what Paul's trying to tell the believers in Corinth, all right? And then here's what he says to wrap up chapter 13. Here's the way he ends it. In verse eight, he says, love never ends, right? As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So Paul's basically, again, going back to this idea that, look, all the spiritual gifting that the Corinthians are arguing about, he's going, guys, all that stuff's gonna fade away one day. Like all that stuff's passing away, okay? It's not going to exist forever. And then he talks here about the perfect. And he says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Um, and, and when he talks about the perfect here, um, a lot of people that are cessationist, and so we talked about this back, we talked about spiritual gifts. There's uh, some people that are cessationist. They believe that certain giftings are dead or, or gone or they're not, they're not useful any longer. And so when they, when they hear that when the perfect comes, what they think that refers to is the Bible. They would say that Paul's saying that when scripture is fully complete, that we no longer need gifts like tongues and prophecy and, and some of that any longer. Um, what I would say is that the perfect spoken of here in verse 10 is not talking about the Bible. Now we believe in uh, the completeness of the scriptures. We believe in the perfectness, if you will, of God's word. It is complete. Uh, we stand under the authority of God's word. We make no uh, apologies about that. Um, we've talked about that uh, over and over and over again, the infallibility of the word of God. But in context, that's not the perfect that Paul's talking about. And we know that because of what he says next, okay? In verse 11, he goes on and says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So Paul's not talking about Scripture being that perfect thing that's going to come and nullify all the gifts. What he's talking about is one day when we're with Jesus in heaven, when we're with uh, God's kingdom is fully realized. One day, things are going to be perfect, right? Things are going to be perfect. That's when the perfect comes. Right now, we just know in part, we see as in a mirror, a dim reflection, but one day we're going to see fully, okay? Okay. 
So what Paul's saying is, listen, one day when we're with Jesus, all these other giftings, prophecy and tongues and all these things, those things are not going to be necessary anymore. Those things won't need to be around anymore. You know what will still be there? Our love for God, his love for us, and our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. What Paul's saying here at the end of chapter 13 is, guys, love is the one thing that's going to last forever. It's never going to fade away. Even at the very end when he says there's faith, there's hope, and there's love, but the greatest is love. You know, one day when we're with Jesus, the object of our faith is going to be fully realized. One day the object of our hope is going to be fully realized. But you know what's going to, what's going to continue? Again, God's love for us, our love for God, and the love among the brothers and sisters in the family of God. He says, love's never going to end. And so the final thing I would say is that, you know, we've talked a lot about the purpose of the church here at the Vista. And what we believe is that the church is to be a a glimpse, a picture, a reflection, if you will, of the future kingdom of God one day. That in this broken, fallen, sinful, kind of messed up world, the church is to be this glimmer of light where we literally live out the kingdom of God here and now. We practice the way that it will be one day when we're with Jesus, right? That's kind of the purpose of the church, that we're embodying the kingdom of God. And so what Paul's really getting at here to the church in Corinth is this, that the church best embodies the future kingdom of God by loving one another. Because love is going to be the one thing that's going to last forever. Love is going to be the one thing that one day when we're in heaven with Jesus is still going to be present. It's still going to be around. So listen, he's saying to the Corinthians, if you guys really want to embody the future kingdom of God, it's not about spiritual gifting and how you practice communion and which pastor you like better. He's saying, no, no, what you really need to be applying yourselves to is loving God's people. It's love at the end of the day. And so what I really wanted to do as I wrap up this walk through 1 Corinthians and I focus on 1 Corinthians 13 um, is really hopefully encourage you as a church. This sermon um, really is not meant to be a a sermon where uh, we're sort of getting on to the church at all. And the reason is because I think I speak for all of our staff and elders when I say you guys really do a wonderful job of loving one another. We've seen that play out in so many different ways. We're, we're trying to share stories even now of how you're doing a good job of loving one another and loving the community. And so if anything, what we wanna say to you is good job. Keep it up, right? Keep being the church. Keep devoting yourself to love, the love of one another. And I know over the years, man, it is so easy sometimes to pick silly fights. It's so easy to kind of argue about things that, at the end of the day, they really don't matter that much. In other words, if we're not careful, it's easy to become the church in Corinth, right? And yet, I think that we've done a really great job of saying we're not going to be the church that picks silly fights. There are things we disagree about for sure. But at the end of the day, how we're going to maintain unity in the church is by focusing on our love for one another. And so, thank you for being the church. Thank you for loving one another. And if anything, I just want to say, keep it up. Let's love in the church well. Let's love our community well. Because Jesus said, that is how the world is going to know that God is real and how the world's going to know that we belong to him. All right, let's pray together this morning. 
Father, we are so grateful today for your great love for us. Father, we're grateful that you are indeed love and that that, uh, that love, God, um, ultimately, God, that is, that, is, that is what you're about completely and totally. That is who you are. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you demonstrate that love for us, that you have affection for us as your children and that that love and that affection motivated and moved you to action on our behalf. And God, now I pray that as recipients of your love, that we would indeed love those you place around us. God, we thank you for this, uh, this letter to the church in Corinth because in it, there's a lot of warnings. There's a lot of things that we can learn from God about just navigating some of these difficult sort of cultural waters that we live in. I pray that our focus, God, would be on you, on loving you and then loving the people in the, in the church that you place around us. So we thank you for this church family, for this church community. And God, would you just give us a heart to love people well? We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.